0: Thank you. to my dinner with my dinner with Andre. My name is William Debiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs.
1: My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a film critic. People call me Whitney Seibold. And, uh, and uh, this, this is this is one of the weirder things we decided to do with the critically acclaimed network. Well, um, we, we've been trying to think of a way to sort of expand voices. You've heard enough from us. Oh, I'm let's, so sick of us. Let's let's get a few extra voices in here. And uh, you, William, had this wonderful idea after we reviewed My Dinner with Andre, uh, the famed uh, Louis Mal film from 1981.
0: Mm-hmm. Starring uh, Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory Uh, two wonderful uh, actors and uh, theater, uh, uh, well... Luminaries. Luminaries is the best way to put it. Um, It's a film in which uh, two theater guys talk in a restaurant for about two hours. Uh, That might sound boring and that might sound like a podcast, but it's actually considered a very revolutionary film. It completely... Uh, broke all the rules of cinema when it came out in the early 1980s, and it is considered uh, not only uh, a a beloved cinema classic, but also uh, a bit of a pop culture joke, (laughs) that there is this huge giant movie that's just two people talking, and there have been a lot of uh, gags about it over the years, and we recently covered this film on an episode of our podcast, Critically Acclaimed, and... Whitney and I hadn't, had, had you seen it before?
1: I had. You had. This, you this had. was a rewatch for me, but it was the first time for you, if yeah, I recall. Yeah, and
0: I'm very enamored of it, and I found it to be a really fascinating little puzzle box of a movie uh, that operates as a straightforward conversation between two fellows, but also a bit of a Rorschach test in which a lot of the topics they discuss about uh, life, art, inspiration, uh, midlife crises... Uh, are issues that people deal with in their lives in different ways. And Whitney and I had a really fascinating conversation, not just about the film, but also about the philosophy of the film and uh, our reactions to that. And I thought it'd be a really fun idea to just take this one film, this one little inkblot Rorschach test of a film, and present it, not to the cats, <laughs> and present it to other people, other critics, other people uh, whose opinions that we, we treasure... And give them an opportunity to just have their
1: own dinner with my dinner with Andre and then just yield the floor. Uh, so that's what we're about to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, our in our inaugural inaugural episode, uh, we have enlisted the uh, aid and the minds of uh, one Grey Drake mm-hmm. and one Steve Gelder, uh, married couple par excellence. You know Grey Drake because she is Ms. Moviephone. Uh, Yeah, Grey
0: Grey Drake has been in the industry for for longer than we have Uh, Her show, The Popcorn Mafia, was very influential in the way we do podcasts Uh, I have nothing but respect for her, uh, not only as a person She's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life uh, But also as an incredible host and interviewer And I maintain that she is one of the best interviewers the industry has ever had Mm. Uh, So if you ever see a Grey Drake interview, you know you're in for something uh, very special, very funny, very thoughtful uh, and uh, Steve Gelder is no slouch either. He's a very, very funny man. Uh, he's worked in a variety of uh, aspects of the entertainment industry, yeah, he, he, and they're uh, wonderful conversations He's
1: had political podcasts, he's done a lot of acting. Uh... He he's just a, a, a renaissance man all around.
0: Uh, you can find them on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, she is at Gray Drake G R A E D R A K E and he's at Steve Gelder Steve
1: Gelder. <laughs> you can figure that one out.
0: Y- yeah, uh, but there that's both of their handles on both of those uh, social media accounts. Uh, they do a lot of various projects. We can we can hardly keep up. Uh, so by all means, if you enjoy this conversation, and even if you don't, check all that out. Subscribe to their various feeds. Uh, They're wonderful people, and uh, I can't wait for you to experience this nice conversation in which they talk about a lot of things that we didn't talk about. Like, are you an Andre? Or are you a Wally? And is, perhaps, the waiter who serves Wally and Andre a ghost? (laughs) Which is something that seriously never occurred to me, and now I may never watch the movie the same way again. So, uh, without further ado, this is their dinner. With my dinner, with Andre.
2: Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Gray. It's a perfectly natural way that we greet each other every morning.
3: (laughs) When we're recording ourselves without... Yeah, of course.
2: It's like breakfast with Steve.
3: (laughs) Brunch with Gray. Or my dinner with Andre. (laughs) Is that how we're supposed to lead into this?
2: I guess so. I would assume that Whitney and Bibbs, being the professionals that they are, would sort of give us some kind of intro, don't you?
3: I imagine it is their podcast after all, yeah. so they should probably intro outro us yeah. talk about how amazing we are as humans and like
2: what we've done in the world and like who we are. They, and they the, don't
3: know that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't. Try, I try to keep that very secret. Most of it. <laughs>
2: I don't feel like I know it these days. <laughs> I'm not sure the trash uh, oh. <laughs> we might want to hold. I don't know, man. That's a very French new wave. I did notice that that
3: during some of the silent sections uh, during the dinner scene, uh, they would put in like a fire truck going by or horns honking <laughs> on the street <gasps> did they? to make sure that you knew it was New York City.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually am not sure that I've ever seen... This movie in its entirety. I think the last time I probably attempted it was college. It's the only time I could think of that I would have tried to attempt something like this just (laughs) to sort of like prove my worth in the film school world, you know?
3: My dinner with Andre is the sheer rock face of climbing. It's That's, that's what it sounds like when you're, you know I, I would have attempted this back in college. That's, that's what you talk about when you're like rappelling up a mountainside right. or something. Yeah,
2: exactly. I don't think I would have ever wanted to sit down and watch this any other way other than to like get a grade on it.
3: I <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember watching this movie at some point in the 80s, like on HBO or something, Mm -hmm. after it had been released. And I remember at the time thinking, my God, this is just so long and boring. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of how I felt at the time. And that was just, you know, and now coming back to it decades later, still pretty long and dull.
2: I think it is exactly the kind of movie that makes me... Wonder if I'm in the wrong profession. (laughs) (laughs) Because I watch watch this, obviously, you know, being quarantined in the house and being alone with my own thoughts Mm -hmm. for a few months. Foisting them on my very patient husband. That's you. Bad guy. And uh, I... While I thought it was certainly interesting, and I I feel like I could dissect it for its merits. Right. I didn't enjoy watching it. I got no enjoyment out of it.
3: Uh, I did think at one point, this is a movie that you could actually remake during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, right. This is something you could do. Two guys sitting at dinner, they would have to, of course, wear masks or shielding or something like that. It would be a different <laughs> right. type of situation. And they would probably end up discussing... Their worldviews based around everything that's happening right now. So it would be a completely different world. The movie that exists now, uh, My Dinner with Andre, Andre is a bore. Andre. A bore? Andre is a bore. Andre talks about nothing but what he's been doing in these weird environments and things like that. And he just drones on and on. Okay. I would hate to have dinner with Andre.
2: <laughs> but I don't think a bore is the right word for it, though. He's literally one of the most interesting people. Like, he's done so many wild things. He is doing all these
3: interesting things. I've never heard someone express it in a more boring fashion. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Because when my friends have gone and had, like, experiences like he's had, he had some sort of, like, uh, near orgy type experience in In a forest with Polish people. Yeah, Poland, wherever it was. He had. All these, you know, he was buried alive for a period of time to sort of examine his own being and life and death and all this other stuff. But I've never been more just like sort of disinterested in someone's stories.
2: Mm. It, is, it is interesting because the way that they've organized the film is exactly my fear when I'm speaking to people. Mm-hmm. Which is that it is less a conversation and it's more like a one-sided attack You know, because like I know I get like that where I get like really excited about something. Right. And I want to share it and I have a crazy story and it's not so much an exchange. And I feel like that's what I was watching is Mm. basically my worst nightmare, which is that I fear that I'm Andre when I speak. And I'm I'm conveying what I think is like a very interesting experience to someone. Right. But really. It's just the other person is Wallace Shawn that looks vaguely trapped in his own like reaction shots. Uh And then and is like trying to trying to find work to do. Like at one point I caught him chewing soup.
3: Yes. Yes. I I noticed that as well.
2: And it's like Jesus. When people talk to me. Are they just chewing soup?
3: (laughs) Oh, my God. Chewing soup is a great name for a new (laughs) podcast.
2: Sorry, Whitney and Bibbs. We're gone. We got our own
3: thing going on.
2: I just fear that. Because he was, it's, it's such an interesting structure. And I feel like if I step back from the movie, then I can certainly, like, appreciate that it's, you know, this, this expression of two very different worldviews and right. you've got, you know, and Wallace Shawn is so certainly looking back at him is very interesting in retrospect, knowing what he's done in the business since this film. And right. And about midway through
3: the uh, film, he actually does use the word inconceivable, which just fills you <laughs> with joy if you're a Princess Bride fan. But
2: we he- have him on our wall. Like, we have a painting of oh, Princess Bride That's on right, the our wall. That's that. right, right behind you.
3: Um, oh, my God, he's behind me. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Wallace Sean is very much uh, more the everyman, sort of in this thing, where he's talking about. Andre is talking about sort of like huge concepts of life and death and his place in the universe and and within like a, a societal structure, oh, all these God. things. Oh, my God, and just
2: being like the most insufferable theater person ever. Right. and oh then my God.
3: And then Wallace Sean. Is basically saying, hey, I got to pay my bills and sitting down with my wife makes me feel good. Why shouldn't that be enough? Yeah, yeah. So it's It's an interesting conversation in, in that sense. I shouldn't say that it's just a bore. It's just uh, presented in a style that is very different from how I enjoy having dinner conversation with someone. Because Andre really does dominate the conversation and Wallace Shawn is a polite listener to a fault. Yeah. He does not interject, even when there's plenty of room for him to just, you know, go, I've had something similar like that happen. Or whatever you would do in the course of a conversation. He just sits back and listens as if this guy and Andre is sort of presented as almost a, a mentor, I think, at dinner. But in the narration when he's talking about him, they're more... Friends.
2: Well, yeah, because he—it's been like five years since they've seen each other, right? So they're more peers now than they might have been before. Where he was like a theater director and all that. Um, as you, as we talk though, it it's I think the more interesting thing that I am picking up on is that we are two Andres.
3: You and I. You and
2: I are. Yeah. No, we're, that's how we are. It's like we always have like an interesting story or like, oh my God, that reminds me. Or did you hear the time that I. Uh,
3: we like to think we always have. Anyway, let's but, go ahead.
2: <laughs> where, whereas, but, but at the same time, it's like, we also are both very Wallace Shawn too in the respect that even on that, from the outside, our life is very weird living in Los Angeles and like. We were around actors a lot and
3: celebrities we, and different people. Yeah, but
2: it's like work. They're not like our friends, right? So we still are like these Wallace Shawn types, where it's like, yeah, no, we're worried about our bills, right? Like we're we. Uh, I think a lot about coffee. Yes. So much, like I so much think about it.
3: Even though we have a lot of free time during this quarantine, I don't see myself. Being buried alive anywhere to sort of mull over life and death. (laughs) You know, where, so I'm much more the Wallace Sean sort of in that equation.
2: But I don't think so though, because I feel like, I feel like the reason that we are interesting people in this world is because (laughs) we have so many stories. Okay. Right? So, in a way, when I start to like pick it apart, it I it goes back to what I was saying a minute ago, that I, I feel uncomfortable at being perceived like I perceive Andre in this movie. Right. Because I do believe the other thing that we do is a, it's a, a conversation is a give and take. We're very kind of interactive with people and we don't really dominate. But do we? <laughs> right?
3: I, I don't think in the same way.
2: I don't think so either. But I mean, that's just an... I, I didn't really look at it as... Me kind of watching my own worst fear, which reframes the movie to me. Because mm-hmm. I didn't like it; I didn't enjoy the experience. I didn't like what well, I like. At one point, when I hit the pause button, and I notice we both noticed that we only had like seven minutes left. We both went, "Thank God!"
3: Right? It was sort of a <laughs> sigh of relief to a degree.
2: I like you know what I like more than the movie is I like all the cultural references to the movie after the fact.
3: I did enjoy watching over the credits the 1970s and <laughs> early 80 cars that were on the streets <laughs> of New York. I remember at one point we both went like, oh, a Gremlin.
2: Right. You know, an AMC like, oh. Gremlin.
3: Oh, a Vega. Oh, interesting.
2: Well, I was like, I, I mean, on as a, as a quick note, uh, I can't believe the New York subway in oh. 1981. Yeah. Or 80, maybe, if this was shot then. and. I couldn't. I can't believe it. I never saw New York until 1998, uh, and that was when Giuliani had like
3: cleaned up, Time cleaned up Times Square, Time Square and, and it was else. so sure, ple- sure. so
2: pleasant. So you know, and as a young person, sanitized totally, yeah. and and even then, still filthy. <laughs> <But> <laughs> New York, we love you. I love you, but um, I was like, I never saw it. It's like Times Square, where like actors talk about going on auditions and then getting knifed you know what I mean like that was like a common thing where it's like watch your back
3: I I don't know how common it was to get an audition and get knifed however I love your enthusiasm for the acting
2: craft pretty wild (laughs) hey I got an audition for Romeo and Juliet ah oh and then you just have to perform a scene from the end yes because you're bleeding (laughs) so you just you have to go to the last skip to the last scene we got a bleeder what is this I see before me (laughs) um yeah. That's how I picture New York. But I couldn't believe that subway. Like the graffiti on the in- on the inside?
3: Inside, outside. No yellow line to keep you back from the train. So Wallachon standing dangerously close to the edge of the platform as the thing comes in. Isn't
2: that funny, though, that like we make fun of how dumb people are? But we need guidance. Yes, like we need the line. If
3: you don't have the yellow line, people will stand there for a shot for a movie sometimes. God.
2: And then um, they're going to go on to star in Sex in the City and be Candace Bergen's boyfriend. What? Yeah, Wallace Shawn.
3: Seriously? Oh, oh yeah. I missed that part of. Oh Sex my god! In the City. Yeah, <laughs> she was. The,
2: she's like the editor in chief of Vogue, and he was like her weird boyfriend. Oh wow. And she wasn't attracted to him. No one is ever attracted to Wallace Shawn in anything.
3: Except for his lovely girl, Debbie! Debbie!
2: But it's funny, isn't it? Because he just has that type where he's like the weird guy or like the evil genius or whatever. Right. But so whenever he gets cast and stuff... If he ends up being the boyfriend, it's always the weird boyfriend that the girl wasn't attracted to. <laughs> sure. But he ends up being amazing. Right. And De- was- Debbie's the only one that knew. Right. Right. <laughs> De- Tip of the hat to Debbie, by the way. I love that he talks about her and they're still together.
3: Uh, the, it is nice. And this is, it's a weird coincidence and stuff. But a few months ago, um, before everything started with the uh, coronavirus, I was in downtown Los Angeles leading a tour, which is something that I do to make money between acting gigs And Wallace Sean and Debbie happened to walk up and we're going past my group when somebody in the group like did that thing when like folks from outside of LA spot a celebrity. Where it's like, oh my
1: god, this guy!
3: (laughs) Like not knowing his name, not just recognizing him and knowing that he's a famous person. And he was so generous with his time, gave just like a minute, stood there very patiently, and like said hello and sort of spoke to people. Uh, I, you know, introduced him as Wallace Shawn, and as he walked away and went into a taco shop downtown, uh, which was a great little lunch with Andre, I guess, um, he, I I said, you know, most of you probably know him from Princess Bride, inconceivable, and I saw him turn and smile, um, which was kind of nice, funny, but yeah. A great individual and someone who is with Debbie. And at the time, um, Andre—I cannot think of his last name—from um, the movie was actually with his wife Chiquita, mm. who he talks about as well during the movie. Although, if you read the trivia on IMDb, both guys will tell you this is not them. They're yeah. playing characters. They're playing different roles.
2: And as I understand it, I mean, this is like a this is sort of a uh, an amalgam of their conversations that they have had. And they've recorded, and they kind of crafted the screenplay based on those things. I can see that, sure. Yeah, and, and so it's sort of like this kind of before sunrise, Richard Linklater, Julie right. Delpy, Ethan Hawke kind of vibe where maybe they had an idea. And Just then less they... making out, though. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> woefully. <laughs> but uh, they now that I would have been interested in. <laughs> Whoa. But uh, it's interesting when the actors come up with what to say. Right. Because even with as stiff as I felt that the movie was, mm-hmm. you know what 40 years later uh, I I do think that it was shockingly natural and I was so, I think the least natural parts of it uh, were were the reaction shots. and even then they're doing a bang up job it's just that i felt like i saw the movie working at that point
3: right when they were inserting the proper shots and
2: you have to do that i get it but it you know you can't just have a shot it's like one long shot of andre oh my god i would die right but um i thought it was like surprisingly natural and i wondered like what what is filming like would a movie like this where it's just long stretches of dialogue with right. actual film where the magazine only lasts 11 minutes oh god and so this is this is an hour and 50 l- minutes and so it's like what is filming that like and <laughs> Wanted to see the outtakes. I always want to see the outtakes because he's like, because he's like, what if it was like Andre was, you know, was like, and then I they took me naked through the forest, and I and instead of burying me, uh, you know, like, he just completely heads down the wrong path, veers like, off,
3: and then Wallace Sean gets crazy and like grabs him and kisses him on the face or something. Right. Very Burt Reynolds, Dom DeLuise at the end of Cannonball Run
2: kind of what, bloopers. What if the waiter like spilled wine? Were they like, oh, Christ, he has to tell the whole story about, like, going to Poland again? Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, and they did do some... Suddenly, I was being lowered into an eight-foot grove. Shit! Grave! (laughs) Grave!
3: (laughs) Yeah, I did, excuse me, notice a couple of times the edits that they had done. Several takes, apparently, of some of the longer uh, monologues that Andre was doing. And they would cut them in, like, very nicely, very seamlessly, but I could tell, you know, as someone who's done some editing, oh, they've gone ahead and like picked a different piece here, done a very nice subtle changeover or whatever like that for, for the purposes probably of the film magazine running out.
2: Or they something had to like stop. that. There's a, they had to stop. I mean, and what it's it's fascinating when you think about the movie technically. Okay, maybe not
3: fascinating. <laughs> but this is but, what we do in this town,
2: so <laughs> uh there's so many mirrors. Yes. I, know that's, I know that's brought up a lot in, in in people kind of thinking about this movie. But it is interesting to see like how they projected this this realism. Mm-hmm. And yet it, it still is so stagey. It really is fascinating. Because I yeah. mean, the, there's so many mirrors around. It's so hard to film around mirrors. But they're shooting right into one. Like they had no fear. And they were just like, you know what booth you should take? The one with the mirrors. <laughs> like, what confidence. Right.
3: Yeah, they had, a, a, um, I think, some interesting um, visuals going on.
2: Seeing- what? What ones? <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, there was one point when they're in conversation, like, you see the waiter walking up in the mirror. You know, there there's, there's, there's right. some different things. Like he's a oh, little.
2: I'm sorry, you mean Mr. Personality?
3: <laughs> he's the critical, looming figure who's sometimes <laughs> listening in. I assume right now he's the Whitney and Bibbs <laughs> listening into our conversation. <laughs> is
2: that just the way that people used to wait on tables? They just walk over and stare at people?
3: You know, fancy restaurants like that, I think there's still a, a great deal of
2: that. I don't know. We don't go.
3: Yeah. I'd, you know, the last time I was in one, I think I had that guy as a waiter. Um,
2: <laughs> we, our approach to fine dining is usually to befriend. The server, yeah, and the server is relieved. There are two people acting like human beings, <laughs> and then we generally end up doing something like joking around or being really inappropriate. And you can kind of see like the manager in the corner, like scowling, right? But then the manager comes over, and we befriend them, right? <laughs> and then at
3: some point, we get a free dessert,
2: and then nobody notices that I don't know how to use a salad fork. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's really a shame when you pick it up and just throw it into the eye of the waiter as he approaches. It's
2: I just panic. <laughs> what are, why are these all here?
3: <laughs> We've blinded many a waiter at a fine restaurant. Anyway, back to the movie. Yeah, um, yeah it's... it's uh, I, can, I can't say it's interesting sort of to watch the movie, but I do think that some of the conversations that can come out of watching it are interesting.
2: Not that I think... That's why this podcast is great. Good job, guys. Way to go, fellas. Um...
3: Not that I think that I would talk about the topics that they discussed. but well, How could you? Yeah, I mean, it was so much like the uh, the empirical experiences that, like, Andre had had and all his weird whatever. And, you know, you can't relate to it sort of in a, a real person sense. But He
2: talks for three and a half minutes about a monk that used to eat rice that now eats beef.
3: Yeah, but that guy, that guy entertained the kids. <laughs> he didn't even like kids, that monk. But he would still entertain <laughs> them. These are the things I'm remembering from this movie. This is weird. Um, I, I would... I would, I think I'm enjoying the conversation about the movie more so than the movie itself.
2: I, I mean, yes. That's, absolutely.
3: That's a part of what I think that this movie may have prompted even at the time because I recall in 81 when it came out, it was sort of huge for an indie film. Uh, people would talk about it. Many times I remember like cultural touchstones of people making fun of it because it was... Just two guys sitting down and having dinner.
2: My my favorite being Waiting for Guffman when he has the My Dinner with Andre action figures. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. So funny. So funny. That's even a funny joke if you don't know what it's referencing.
3: There is also a scene in one of The Simpsons where the kids are at the video arcade, which I think is called Noiseland. And um, uh, Martin Prince, uh, the educational one, is playing the My Dinner with Andre video game. <laughs> And so, like, the the game is saying something, like, deep and weird, and Martin goes, tell me more, and pushes forward on a lever that has tell me more, uh, like, trenchant bon mot, and something else on it, just
2: like. <laughs> uh, hilarious.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's weird where these things show up, but.
2: um, the, I mean, this movie's a big deal. It's one of the top independent films of all time. Yeah, like, it's um, a big deal. It's so funny to watch it. Especially now, I mean because it's timeless in a way because you're i i think on, the only indicator of when where when it was made was how it looks that sort of rich film mm. it's lit in kind of like a like a stark kind of way because um film stock has changed consistently through the through the decades right and so anybody with like a really fine eye for it can actually look at the way that things were lit and the way that the image is projected and they can kind of tell the era right um which i think is so cool and and i love that this i love that there's such a harshness to the way that the movie's made because it just feels like oh yeah man this is like new york (laughs) <laughs> this is like 81 and people are getting stabbed left and right. That's what I think of.
3: Right. This is like, um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like one of those, um, like a Casavetes movie or something like that. Yeah. Where it's natural lighting and it's people just talking and having conversations. And it's not so much about like a Michael Bay explosion in the background. and well, right. You know, trying to track down E.T. or anything like that.
2: There, every once in a while, like you have to think so, you have to listen so carefully, I think, to pick out the more universal ideas because obviously it's so specific to Andre's mostly Andre's experience of like all these stories of all this weird crap. Right. <laughs> I was so reminded of my high school drama teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean like I sit down with him it's exactly what talking to him is like. Really? Um in in a great way because he'll he'll now especially now that I'm older and long since out yeah. of high school. Right. Now it's really good. Where I'll be like, wildest thing you ever did for Halloween. You know, just dumb questions. <laughs> and then he'll be like, well, it involved uh, me being nude, wearing a cast iron skillet and nothing else, and being Peter Pan. Ha!
3: <laughs> <laughs> Tip of the hat to that gentleman he, uh, as well.
2: Yeah, Thomas, you're the best. Um, and so it's, but it's like little things that I would pick up. Right. Out of the movie? You were about to say something. Uh, Yeah, can I point out to you that in that
3: example that you just gave, you actually asked Thomas a specific. Like, you were like, hey, what about the craziest Halloween? I don't know that Wallace Shawn ever gets a chance to do that. He sort of sits down with Andre, and Andre goes, so, here I am in Poland. That
2: was, I think, the only thing that makes the movie feel very stiff, is that it does not feel like a natural conversation to me. It feels
3: like two monologues.
2: It does. And it it feels like, okay, so now you guys are going to sit down and and Andre, you're going to start talking at him about this. Yes. So that's the style of it that I didn't connect to. That's why it was, it really felt like a struggle to get through it. Right. Because it didn't feel natural. Um Anyone else from California would have said an organic conversation. (laughs) But if you're not referring to farming or produce, don't use that word. Right. That is not the correct word. Uh, But little things like occasionally they would say some things and I would go, wow. Like that whole thing that they go on about uh, where New York is actually an institution and that everyone living in it is both the prisoner and their jailer—an
3: insane asylum in the sense of institution, right?
2: And they have they they have both built this reality that they live in, and they and they're they're for it, it, and they're trapped by it. Right. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's like that's the old timey QAnon." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, my, my viewing of these things are so different, having been stuck inside uh-huh. and listening to all these conspiracy theories and feeling sad for people. Because as we discuss, the idea that so much of life is uncontrollable is terrifying. Right. That it is, not, and but so a lot of times it's it's much easier for someone to come up with a wacky reason.
3: Right. People will connect the dots on something and create a conspiracy theory to make sense out of what is essentially just chaos around us. Right. And it's like, no, the government doesn't control the weather. It's just a coincidence that things happened at events that were important to you that were ruined by the weather or something like that. It's not. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, well, in
2: that moment in the film really made me think of this. hmm. You know, we're. <laughs> I love all these great thinkers. I admire them. I don't think I'm one of them, honestly. You know, but I I love these people. I should deny that at this point, right? I should I should put <laughs> yes, in I some was, sort of. <laughs> I was fishing, and you failed. No,
3: no, you're genius. Anyway, <laughs> go on.
2: <laughs> but it, it's it's you know people sitting down and sharing these kinds of ideas with each other, You'd like usually at like a cast party after their their theater play has wrapped their theater play. theater play. <laughs> I think I just had a stroke. <laughs> Bames John is having a stroke. <laughs> um, but I appreciate that. Not right now. Hmm. I appreciate it less right now. I, I would like to try to focus. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not very interested in any kind of these, these wild ideas right now i think that i'm more i was able to entertain them much much more before we were stuck inside and very scared for our lives like i think i've shifted into much more of a survival frame of mind where it's like i don't want to like think about smart stuff me need to stay alive <laughs>
3: <laughs> i like that that that's how your lizard brain just sort of interprets <laughs> my dinner with andre <laughs> Me need stay live. Andre, talk too
2: much. It's true. I don't, I'm like, oh my God. Smash Andre. Somebody shut the, somebody put a mask on this guy and shut him up. You are the waiter. You're the waiter oh in God. in my
3: dinner with Andre. Unless
2: Andre, I'm more the waiter
3: <laughs> because he was just very, with a big ass bottle of wine. Very judgmental that waiter. You could tell, like he would hear certain snippets of conversation, and you could see him like roll his eyes. I'm pretty
2: sure that all fine, physically, visibly fine dining waiters all hate their patrons. Probably don't you think? I'm pretty sure.
3: It seems like a natural just outspring of you know serving patrons. I like would.
2: That. Yeah. I've, I mean I haven't done fine dining but I mean I've waited tables and I think that there's an el- there's an undercurrent of distaste
3: Well consider that um, like we sort of look at Wallace Shawn as like the more the everyman in this thing where he's like I'm worried about my bills and I enjoy watching TV or doing the crossword. <laughs> I like or, my
2: electric blanket right
3: all these outrageous statements that he's making uh, regarding society uh, the waiter is even a more uh, a further step. Real person. Sure. And so he's got a He's listen. not
2: having a conversation like that at a restaurant.
3: No, not at all. He And he's even more so probably concerned with his bills. And he's probably working a couple of jobs yeah. to keep the money coming in and uh, to okay. make New York possible.
2: P.S. He was like 175 years old. Of course <laughs> he's working two jobs. He hasn't retired.
3: He reminds me of a guy that used to work at Dangerfields in New York City who was the doorman there at the comedy club, Chario, mm-hmm. who just passed away not too long ago. Aww. Very similar look very different personalities because Chario would walk up to you, fart loudly, and then laugh and walk away, because that was the height of humor at Dangerfields. Wow! Um, but sort of a similar thing where this guy worked several jobs, worked very hard. He was a fixture at mm-hmm. Dangerfields, and I think this waiter was a fixture at whatever <laughs> restaurant Andre and Wallace and have their dinner w- at.
2: And he would haunt it after he died. He would.
3: I think he may have already been haunting it. I think the waiter was a ghost. <laughs> Becomes the most interesting thing about my dinner with Andre. If you look at it through that perspective, what if you just sixth sense this movie a little?
2: Have you? So there's another distinct feeling that I got while I was watching this. Okay. This is exactly what it's like going to dinner with people in New York. Hmm. This is exactly how they talk. Right. I I have never lived there. Now, you live there. Yes. But Did the you conversations- have like highfalutin friends?
3: I did not have highfalutin' friends at the time when I lived okay. in New York. I hung around with other comedians. You had comedians. poor, weird friends? Yes. Yeah, poor, weird. Okay. Right. Other stand-up comedians who would get, you know stand at the back of the club. We were the guys, uh, like when the waiter and the rest of the staff at the end of the movie are smoking cigarettes and talking and waiting impatiently for these guys to wrap up their damn dinner. That <laughs> yes. was more of us. That right. was us. Yes. Yeah, Those yeah, yeah. were the conversations.
2: Um, I distinctly remember being in New York... And I I have, like, four fancy friends, but that's it. <laughs> and so when I go to New York, I'm always very interested in, like, the cultural differences. Because I do believe that uh, New York and L.A., like...
3: Holy cow, they're different, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but both both similar in the respect that it's a lot of people with artistic pursuits, and there's a lot of liberal ideas, and a lot of thinkers, and stuff like that. But... I was so energized this one particular trip that I took and I was sitting with one of these highfalutin friends um, and his friend was the dude that wrote that he the book that Hugo book that Scorsese made the movie of Oh right okay So this dude is smart and he's really talented and he's like an artist and all of the people there are the same like they I felt like they were a couple a couple solid notches above me I would
3: disagree with that, I'll tell you right now. However.
2: You passed. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, You're one for two. Um, But talking to them was so stimulating. Because unlike the people that I speak to, Uh, who I'm largely having emotional-based conversations with. We're talking about our feelings about something. We're trying to get insights. Best case scenario, we're getting insights into our behaviors. Okay. Right? That's sort of what I gravitate towards. And this conversation was art, was museums, Mm. uh, the local government. It was talking a lot about scorsese firsthand which was so exciting oh right um but but it was and then the, then they talked about books so <laughs> i don't talk about books <laughs> i read terrible books i don't read interesting books there's I'm a tra-
3: jacqueline suzanne novel sitting around here right now i know dog one that you're
2: going oh. through for the how many i'm so ashamed you read this? how dare you oh, sorry. bring that up But I'm trying to change that. I feel like I need some new ideas. I think I need to learn. I I feel like I'm a little stagnant in that way. But this movie made me think back to that conversation. And just how when I went home, I couldn't believe it. Like how smart these people were. Mm. Just the ideas. And it made me want to be better.
3: More better with smart.
2: (laughs) And so the movie really took me back to that. Um I didn't find Andre and Wally's conversation nearly as stimulating because it was more it was more leaning towards emotional discovery. Mm-hmm. But it was in that theater kid way. Like this is how I imagine that Anna Hathaway tells stories. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um only I only use her as, as an example because She's such a theater kid. She's such a theater kid. And I, I actually get disappointed when people rag on her because my experience with her has been so positive. Like she always remembers who I am. She's very complimentary. She sort of like wears her heart on her sleeve. Mm. And I've met her. I've, I've interviewed her so many times. I feel like I have a pretty solid average of who, of how she is in public.
3: Right.
2: Not that I would know her in private. I'm, I'm trying to always be very careful about saying that. but Well,
3: and in public is the type of situation I mean, that you excuse me, you're... in
2: private. I mean, behind closed doors. I think I... Yeah, I... Yeah. I said it wrong, I think.
3: Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm just saying that um, the public uh, her that you get to see is what she puts on for, like, the uh, interview situation, well, yeah. the junkets, that sort of stuff. Right, so right, it's still right. a little guarded.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's exactly right. I said it wrong. But I, I know her... I know how she is when she's putting on her best face... I don't know her when she's at home in her gym jams. (laughs) Um, And but but she has that way about her. We're just like, whoa, man, like we were in Peru this one time. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just starts and the story and like, the whole thing that Andre goes on about the handprints. Oh, yeah. The book that he finds with
3: several Andres have their handprints. And, and then the, the uh, phrase that he had heard earlier is written inside one of yeah, them. Yeah,
2: and the one the one hand belonged to this dude. And I was like, oh,
3: God. And then Wallace Shawn at the end just brings it home and goes, I don't get it. Like, you think this book was written like centuries before it didn't conceive? He doesn't do it there, but it's like.
2: But you know what's funny is that says he gets he gets on his case about stuff but then he does say stuff like you know i've gotten the electric blanket and i do feel like i'm sleeping differently and having different dreams And it's like shut up dude <laughs> you know what you are sleeping differently you're sleeping better because your body isn't on the brink of death so relax like you're not sleeping differently because of an electric blanket it almost made me relieved when andre was like why don't want an electric blanket on my bed first because I'm afraid it'll, it'll electrocute me? And I was like, that's the most down to earth grounded thing he said this whole time. Is that he's his, scared he'll get set on fire. His fear of the
3: conspiracy of the electric blankets out to get him. Well,
2: right, but I mean my I do not I don't I don't want an electric blanket for the exact same reason. I'm sure the technology's vastly improved in four decades, and oh, I'm not yeah. interested. Not interested. Oh really? They're oh comfy. my god, no way. They I, are. Listen, I have a heating pad that I only use for like medical reasons, and even that makes me nervous. <laughs> I, I
3: feel the same about my body. (laughs) only for medical reasons and it makes me nervous but
2: do you have any friends that are like Andre like people that are just like so sort of
3: Head in the clouds. I've got a couple of people that if I went to a dinner with, they would sort of monologue in the same way. Okay. Um,
2: How often do you see them?
3: Not very, because I don't <laughs> enjoy dinners like that. Because mm. I do think that they should be more of a dialogue and more of a back and forth exchange. And I don't feel like their dinner represented that. I think it was, uh, it, it sort of presented much more as someone listening at the feet of the master, almost.
2: Yeah Like Wallace Shawn
3: gives him that sort of deferential So much time Doesn't like butt up against any of his objections While the conversations are happening He saves it up And then at the nearer the end Gets like a longer thing Where he sort of tears down and breaks down Things that Andre has talked about earlier But as the conversation's going on He just sort of listens and chews his soup <laughs> You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really interject like I would, I don't think, in a conference. Like, listening to just us talking right now, we over-talk each other. We'll cut each other off with little private jokes, yes. personal exchanges, different things. They don't seem to share any of that. And although they have a history together, they don't, that doesn't seem to come out.
2: You were so funny. You were like, he wastes so much food. He hasn't eaten a thing. Oh, my God. They do- <laughs>
3: First of all, Wallachon orders squab and then complains that the squab is small. Have you not learned what a squab is by now? Uh, but yeah, they, uh, Andre talks through through the soup, through the entree. They set a salad down after the entree has been served. Uh, and I don't think he eats much of anything during the meal. At no. one point, he has
2: a little of the squab. I don't even. I didn't even see them drinking their wine, really. Yet it got refilled at one point, right. which I considered to be like, "I'm like, oh boy, the midpoint." <laughs> They're getting wine. Boy, the stakes are raised now.
3: <laughs> you suddenly just picture Wallachon getting drunk and telling Andre what he really thinks of this whole conversation. <laughs> Here's what you should have done in Poland. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's not an interesting movie, but it is an interesting concept and sort of can provoke some interesting thoughts and ideas. But I don't feel... It feels very much like a um, play that was staged as a movie.
2: Right. It does feel like that.
3: I don't think that they performed it as a play beforehand. Not I'm that not I know of. am not sure of, of that. Uh, but the two guys did write it together. They did and perform it. And they're theater it. guys. Yeah, and they're theater guys. So it feels very much like that kind of thing where it's like, all right, I'll do my monologue. And then you say, what do you think? And, I'll do, and then you do your monologue. And then, you know, back and forth like that.
2: At one point... Andre's talking about how theater is obsolete because most people are performing so well already in, in
3: day-to-day life. Is every everything in your life is a performance? So why do we need the theater or movies?
2: On one hand, it sounded like an excuse for a dude to like just travel and tell the theater to go f itself, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, but on the other hand, I thought I found it like, really prescient, because look at us now.
3: Yeah, everybody's an Instagram influencer, everybody's a performer, whether they have any sort of skill set or not, everybody puts out content.
2: Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, it made me think about, I mean, since I consider myself a performer, I mean, and you are, too, like, does that ever turn off? Like, do we ever stop doing that?
3: I think so. I mean I think I, in I,
2: our house we do I but I feel like and I feel like specifically you're very passionate about telling me like feel just feel how you feel. It's fine. Right. Whereas I'm I'm always concerned about what I'm putting out into our space.
3: <laughs> you're always like put a lid on your emotions, Steve. I'm sick of seeing you cry. <laughs> uh, don't make me kick you again. Um yeah, I think I think that we, uh, I think that people do perform to a degree when they get around groups, their friends, whatever, because everybody's you put on a little show. I think. Uh,
2: I do you, but do you think we do it more than other people?
3: No, I don't think so. And I think when we get home, we're very not like that. You and I don't perform for each other. I don't feel. And I, when we're around each other, it's now you're like um, parsing the fine lines of performance, right? Like. Are you just being a little more upbeat because you're around your friends and having fun and happy? Or are you putting on a little bit because, you know, you don't want to drag anybody down because something bad just happened in your life. Um, But you don't want to talk about it, which they dealt with and spoke of in the movie where um, somebody had lost someone close to them. Andre went out for dinner.
2: Oh, look, it's more more French New Wave type stuff.
3: (laughs) Some sort of. I think they're grinding trees outside. Yeah, so this should make for a nice closing. To I meet. mean, it is Tuesday, so. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, I I I see what you're saying. I just I think that's also an interesting thing that I I've been experiencing just this year as well. Uh, because towards the beginning of the year, I I'm such an extrovert that when I'm around people, I definitely light up. Right. Like a pinball machine. I just... That energy just...
3: And is that a performance or is that just a natural extension of being around people?
2: Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm just... That's what happens. Yeah. And I can't separate me from the performer in a way. Um, I think that I'm very conscious of making attempts to be genuine. Do you know what I... Like I'm, I'm conscious about... Not just like, "Hey, how you doing?" and not listening to the answer. Right. You know, I I try to because I think my job, especially doing interviews, is to be connected. And in order to connect, you can't be concerned with performing. Performing is just the byproduct of what happens when you're connected. Right. And having said that, uh, I also. I mean, I, I, I had an interesting experience when my mom died in the beginning of the year because I didn't have it in me. I didn't have it in me to connect. Right. I didn't have it in me to put on airs. I didn't have it in me to... to that performance part, I just didn't have the juice for it. Naturally. And sure. Yeah, and, that, and I, I hadn't experienced that before. And what was uncomfortable was interacting with people in a deeply honest raw way where they would say that it just sort of sparked it when you mentioned it it's like i don't i'm miserable right i'm sad i'm sad right now people are like how are you i can't even lie and be like good i i've started just started to read like grief books and they're like everybody everyone has a version of this where like someone's like oh would you like whole milk in your latte and I'm like why not my mom's dead <laughs> and, and like, sure. you just like want to keep saying it and it's so like real to you all of a sudden but at the same time really very unreal
3: surreal sure it's it's hard to sort of wrap your head around the concept of this person this entity being gone right? in that sort of sense but it's still it's still so real and so raw that you have to say something about it so that people acknowledge and it it's almost like a sharing where you where you want to just go like uh, I I happened to be doing comedy when my dad passed away. I was down in Florida, I was working with Felicia Michaels. We had gone out done like a little uh flea market shopping because she collects lunch boxes, mm. weirdly enough. So nothing that's weirded, not weird. Nothing weird about it, no, but just like, you know, as I'm tossing out this little bit of trivia, it's like, why am I adding that? Anyway, <laughs> this is how stories go. So we go out, we do some stuff, we're talking as Quit we're shopping. being such an Andre Steve. <laughs> We're talking as we're shopping and both of our mothers had passed away by then. And we sort of talked about how weird it was to go back on stage the first time after your mother's gone. Mm. Because you go up and you start talking about the usual stuff. Like, hey, how's everybody doing tonight? And all you want to do is go, my mommy's dead. That's really what you want to do. And we sort of agreed on that phrase and laughed about it. We went back to the hotel. I had a, a message waiting for me. I started making some calls. I find out my dad is dead. Mm. and I have to perform that night because they can't get anybody to the club to replace me in time. Mm. I didn't have to perform. They told me I didn't have to. I didn't know what else to do with myself.
2: Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, because then you'd, you'd be sitting there feeling terrible about two things.
3: Sure, I'm missing, I'm not doing this, and this has happened, and I'm double sad. Sure. So I go down to the club, and I see Felicia, and she had heard about it through someone because word got around the club. And she came over, and she just said, I'm so sorry. And I just went, my daddy died because it was the same yeah. thing and that's all you want to do you just want to say that and express that and kind of get that out and make it real for someone else besides you which takes a little of the pressure of it i think off yourself
2: well right and also that's a, that's the only at that at that time i felt like that's the only way i could really connect to anybody
3: mm-hmm.
2: is through that
3: cuz that's Where, all you were sort of thinking at sure. the time that's all you were feeling and experiencing so naturally It brings people into you rather than keeping them on the bubble outside where they don't know what's happening.
2: Well, and so then we turn around and like six weeks later, we're stuck inside.
3: We have a global pandemic Uh and a quarantine.
2: And I I was, you know, it was funny because when it first was becoming real to me, I, it's like everything that I, well, so many things that I value are gone. So I can't be with my friends. Like, right. I don't have that element to light me up like that particular right. way. And then I was grieving. And then all of a sudden I was like, good. Now everybody's grieving.
3: Mm. Everyone has a loss.
2: Everybody's in the same boat that I am. And I, in a way...
3: Although you're not because you're in a double boat.
2: Of course. You of know, course. But sure. But it's like... Now I don't have to sit here and feel like the world is passing me by.
3: Everything every,
2: everything has stopped and right. that's why I would make that joke where it's like I manifested this whole thing because I couldn't leave my own house. Right. And I accidentally did all of this. Like now nobody can leave their house and all of a sudden I, j- I feel there's a there's a certain kind of calm That that came over me just knowing, because a big part of my life is keeping up. Right. And exceeding expectations, but always doing, achieving, and, and being out there. And then all of a sudden having that pressure removed was sort of like, oh, cool, this has completely leveled the playing field. Right. And I wouldn't say that it made grieving easier. It changed. It shifts it. Yeah, yeah. It shifts it. I mean, it took the pressure off of me. And I was that that aspect was a relief.
3: Uh, Side note, nobody would be more pleased to think that the entire world shut down over their death than your mother. (laughs) Just just going to mention that quickly. That she would think <laughs> this is a completely appropriate response to her passing. Oh, it's like, funny. well, yeah, of course, of course, the world shut down. It's-
2: <laughs> Yet she'd still somehow find a way to like sh- sh- scold me about something. <laughs> you know, you weren't
3: doing it right.
2: Something. Yeah. <laughs> um. God bless her. Um. But uh, the having all of that take the performance element out of life mm. was inter- has been interesting to me and so I, I watched this movie in a way like i'm unable to tune out this conversation that's all this movie is right is conversation and covid is has made it has made me unable to tune out things like i normally would i'd be very busy working we all would be mm-hmm. with our lives with our children with our families and now that's not really happening in the same way. And so its it was interesting just to feel as though that aspect of the movie was like a mirror. Like I couldn't turn away from the movie. I had to tune into every word. And what I'm going through now, what we are all going through now, is very similar. We can't look away from this. All we have is time. And- are you
3: saying the coronavirus is Andre? <laughs> Is that what I'm getting from he
2: he is a a bat in China <laughs> who was buried alive and hung out with Polish people and that's how covid started. Wow.
3: Well, glad that we could solve this for you all folks. Tune in for another episode of CDC explains.
2: Oh god. Don't
3: forget to chew your soup. <laughs> yeah, it's um I I suppose at some point we should probably wrap this up, but...
2: I feel like that was a good ending.
3: That's... Really? That's it, then? Yeah. So we're done. No, um, my dinner with Andre. (laughs) Watch it or don't.
2: Jesus. I don't know what... Oh my god, I was just talking about my dead mom and you just said to watch it or not. <laughs> what well, not
3: your mom? Keep an eye on her. If you see her,
2: oh, she's Christ. dangerous. This is thanks, Whitney and Bibbs. A zombie. Sorry we messed up your podcast. A mumbi Ah. Uh-huh.